Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode number 138 of Thyroid Nation Radio Live Talk Show and Podcast brought to you by Just Thrive Probiotics. I'm Dana. And I'm Tiffany, and we'll be your hosts for today. Yes, we will. We have a really cool show. Cannot wait. Yes, we do. <laughs> really quickly, I wanted to throw in there, if you haven't checked out thyroidrefresh.com, it's a new site that I just launched with my amazing partner, Jenny Mahar. We help thyroid patients implement thyroid-specific diet and lifestyle changes and by making the process simple and attainable and fun, which is something we all need. And, you know, there's many, many websites out there, including Thyroid Nation, that give you um, information on what to do. And we are the only platform answering the question of how to do it at thyroidrefresh.com. And we give you support and hold your hand and some really cool tidbits along the way. So please check it out. Right, really the step-by-step. I mean, I think that's yeah. the key for so many people because it can be overwhelming and confusing and just, uh, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're trying to help simplify and take the overwhelm out. So that was our one of our key messages and our mission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so hopefully we're, uh, we're doing that for lots and lots of people. I know we are, but. Okay, today we are talking with Jason Prawls former mechanical engineer turned entrepreneur, filmmaker, and health optimization practitioner, which I really like the way he words that. Mm-hmm. Uh, due to 20 years of his own health challenges, he was given the opportunity to discover the reality behind his symptoms. And over the years, he transitioned from working in the integrative disease care model to a model of health optimization and lifestyle medicine. Again, love that. In May of this year, these lessons culminated in a documentary film, series called The Human Longevity Project, which was fabulous, uncovered the complex mechanisms of chronic disease and aging and the true nature of longevity in our modern world. And we cannot wait to hear some of the behind the scenes and all the little tips and tricks he learned along the way. Excited to talk to him. Mm-hmm. And some awesome interviews. Oh, man. Also, Big time. Real quickly, please check out our sponsor, ThriveProbiotic.com. It is very unique, very unique probiotics, spore-based. It is verified, which many probiotics are not, speaking a new language there, uh, to survive gastric acid. I'm creating a new language. Uh, Gluten, dairy, sugar-free, non-GMO, which should be mandatory minimums regardless, and proven to reduce endotoxins, triglycerides, and symptoms of leaky gut. Again, proven. And we've spoken with Karen Krishnan a couple of times regarding this. And so please check out ThriveProbiotic.com. We are so grateful uh, to have them as our sponsor. We are. Yes, we are, right? Yep. And it looks like he is with us. So without any further ado, let's get this Thriver Nation thriving. Good morning. How are you? Doing well. How are you guys? I'm a little tongue-tied, but other than that, I'm doing good. Yeah, you had me laughing right there. I love it. Okay. Right? Okay. I'll, I will work this out. I will work this out, I promise. Oh, my goodness. Oh. We are so glad to talk to you. Jason, you have been on, what, a year and a half or two-year-long epic journey? I can't wait to hear some details. I'm so I excited. Know, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a whirlwind. I mean, it, uh, in some in some ways it feels like it's been two or three years, and in, in other ways it feels like it was a week. So it's 
pretty pretty amazing. It's been a lot of fun. Okay, and and some before of the people, we get started. I was just going to say, ahead, some yeah. of the people and some of the men that you met and did interviews with and got your picture taken with and were able to spend time with, I just got goosebumps thinking about it. I, I mean, what was that like? I, I honestly, it was, a, it, was a, it was an honor. It was, um, it was humbling in a weird way. Um, then it was also very sort of enlightening, right? I mean, these a lot of the people that we, we spoke with were – you know, beyond a hundred, um, and thriving and just to hear their stories. Um, I think that was the coolest part, you know, I mean, we all kind of have, as young people, we have this fascination with old people, like they're so cute and all this stuff, but you know, I, I think that's like the surface level thing when we see them. Right. It, it, and, and actually, I think it's actually profound, but we don't realize it. But, um, I think part of that is because they sort of encapsulate this, this childlike, um, energy, right? And, and they uh-huh. sort of exude this childlike behavior, which I think is what we all want to go back to, right? And so I think mm-hmm. we, there's, there's certain admiration to that, where there is a childlike quality there that we really find attractive. And um, but but to hear their stories and to really um, hear the way they grew up, it, it was just like going back in time. And I think that was honestly um, probably one of the biggest honors because I've spoken to a lot of you know older people in the U.S., and it's just not the same. You know, I mean, yes, there's certain um, things that are kind of fascinating when you hear stories about the past, but to hear stories about the past in places like Ikaria, Greece, and, you know, Nicoya, Costa Rica, and Okinawa, Japan, um, and to hear how they lived not, you know, 40, 50 years ago was, was really, really fascinating and um, honestly a true, a true blessing. Hmm. I can't even imagine how life-changing that was for you. It, I mean, just for me personally, I would have loved to have had an interview with you before that journey. Oh, like yeah. importance and your value right. and all these different things. And then to interview you now and have you look back at, at each one. That would be fascinating. Do you know what I'm saying? Because I'm sure I can't even begin to imagine the changes in you as a person during that journey. Yeah, a lot of it was, um, you know, part of the exploration was, you know, uh, you could say hunches or the way that I thought, you know, I had an idea of of, of the way things were. And a lot of those things were confirmed, you know, through talking with these people and and hearing about their environment, their lifestyle. And then some other things were reinforced that I was probably minimizing. Um, For example, even though I sort of mentally knew the importance of having good relationships in your life, um, on a number of different levels, I'm aware of that sort of mentally, right? Um, what, what sort of really reinforced that was hearing it over and over again from these, these older folks that they basically said that, that their key to longevity was to maintain good relationships, hold no grudges, maintain peace with those around you. And to hear that over and over and over again from, you know, a 94-year-old and a 102-year-old and all over the world, you know, um, it wasn't a cultural thing, right? So it was, it was many cultures around the world. And so to hear that, um, stressed so much and, and, and the profound role that, that, that they felt that that played in their life, um, I think really just hit me in a different place. And so um, I think that was probably one of the biggest uh, takeaways from an emotional level, from a heart-centered level, from a feeling level that, I, that I'm trying to continue to work into my life, right? So I, it went from the, the head, hopefully down to the heart a little bit. And um, so it's playing hopefully a bigger role in, in the way I, I live each day. Mm-hmm. And the modeling and just, of those, you know, I mean, go ahead, Dana, but I mean, the modeling of those 
what that actually means. It's very easy to say, but what mm-hmm. that actually means by, you know, maintaining good relationships and stuff. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. assume they know what it means, but not not truly at like a soul level what that means. Yeah, I think a lot of it just comes down to analyzing who we are, what our personality, you know, where our personalities come from, um, and our, our habitual patterns, right? So how we speak to ourselves, how we speak to others, how we think about ourselves, how we think about others, how we're interacting. And, and it's, it's really just, um, I think, taking a more mindful approach to that, because if you really look at how you behave in your environment, how you behave to yourself when you look at yourself in the mirror, um, these type of things, you know, it's, it's very easy to fall into these patterns and it's that's all it is so if we can just bring some mindfulness to that and just recognize oh wow i'm thinking this about myself or oh wow I'm, this person really triggers me what you know where is that coming from what is that um i think then we can start to break down this idea uh, because because on a cerebral level this is obvious right i'm talking to you guys you guys get it uh, every one of our listen, listeners probably gets this you know we all cerebrally get it but i think it's a matter of taking that understanding and and doing the work to put it into action um, with the understanding that it is worth the effort, with the understanding that it is 100% capable of, you know, resolving Hashimoto's. It is 100% capable of resolving autoimmune conditions and cancers. You know, um, there's a lot of practitioners out there, uh, maybe not in the U.S. so much, but around the world that, that truly believe that cancer is uh, basically pent-up anger, that, that it's anger in the body. Um, and there's a lot of actually reason to think that that's true. Uh, we can explain all the physiology, we can look at the biochemistry, we can look at all the markers and all this stuff, but that doesn't explain wh- where it came from, right? Where it mm-hmm. came from is something entirely different. And so when you talk to really, really wise uh, healers out there, many of them say that, that a lot of the cancers, a lot of the tumors are basically this pent-up anger or pent-up resentment, uh, these type of things. So, you know, I think we have to look into this stuff and we have to recognize that you know, for, for example, with thyroid, it's not a matter of, you know, necessarily looking at markers and tweaking markers and taking this supplement or this medication and doing this stuff and thinking that is the sole resolution and, and, and trying to keep things in balance. I've seen people heal emotional traumas. I've seen people fix relationships, whether that be leave their husband or wife, whether that be um, fix a relationship with their parents, whether that be excommunicate from their brother or sister or their boss and leave their job. These are the things that I think are really impacting our health. And to hear it put so succinctly uh, by these older people who are very healthy at the age of 102 and 104, um, you know, it just kind of re-solidified it for me in a different place. And so I think this is what I'm trying to bring back is that there's, there's so many of these research studies and, you know, supplements and food diet strategies and all these things that people are trying to to implement for quote-unquote longevity or anti-aging effects or even just disease resolution. And I think some of the most basic fundamental things are the way that we think and feel about ourselves and about other people uh, and about our planet and about uh, animals and about uh, our food supply and about everything, right? So it's the relationship. And, but that's not sexy. It doesn't sell a lot of books uh-huh. you know, unless you really frame it the right way. It doesn't sell a lot of programs. You can't bottle it up in a supplement. So it's, it's non-sexy, but yet all of the oldest people around the world say the same thing. So, you know, who are you going to believe? The, the research scientist that's 38 right. years old who's got a PhD in biochemistry, or are you going to believe the 104-year-old who's lived it and says, you know, yeah, this is, this is the key. 
And I'll so, take a 104-year-old so, every day of the week. Oh, yeah, <laughs> right. twice on Sunday, right? Um, it's so conscious level living on all aspects. If we could just be very present with everything instead of just jumping out of bed. I think we talked about this on our last show. You know, you get into this pattern of this routine where you, your eyes open and you hit the ground running. If you can stop oh, absolutely. on the side of your bed and just like wake up and think and take some like moments and breaths and things like that could start every day of, of living consciously and could maybe change all the things you just mentioned. But I, I did want to say something really funny. I mean, if I could divorce my family, I think I would be a lot healthier. <laughs> so not. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, well uh, that, that's true in a lot of us, actually. It, I found that that's true in the healer world, um, in the activist world, because there's something fundamental when the, when the family unit sort of breaks down and is not um, truly, let's say, um, you know, the, the, the dream or the solidified sort of thing that we would, we would think of, um, because it, it forces you into trauma patterns. In other words, a lot of perfectionists that I work with as a, as a practitioner, if I see somebody that's a perfectionist and they have whatever you know, they're coming to me for, um, it's pretty easy for me to see that the perfectionist tendencies that they developed were a, a, a mechanism of protection for them to get love and, and admiration and appreciation and you know, all these things from their, their peers or their parents or whatever. And so that was their protective mechanism. That's how they got love. They turned into a perfectionist. They turned into a successful person. Right. <laughs> so I can, wow. I can earn your love. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Get it. And so, so, so you <laughs> develop that at 10, you know, by getting an A on your test, you develop that at, at 12 by, you know, uh, just absolutely killing the dance recital. You know, you start do the, doing these things and you get the admiration, the love and the feedback. And you're like, okay, well, this is how you get love in life. Right. So you, so you continue to do that. And then it, and you turn into a, CEO of a multi-million dollar company or you, you know, whatever. Um, so it's not a bad thing. You know, I think um, we have to reframe the way we look at this stuff and say, okay, well, that's the way it was. I developed these patterns, this personality or these habits because it was a protective mechanism at one point in time. And it's just stuck with me. Is this really me? Do I really want to continue to do this stuff? Is it possible for me to let go of some of this stuff? How do I let go of this stuff? And this becomes the difficult part because it's much harder to get up in the morning, like you mentioned, think about and feel what you really want to do, what your habits are. Do I really want to go get that Starbucks coffee or is this just a pattern that I'm in? You know, these are the, right. and it's simple stuff. And I'm not saying Starbucks coffee is bad, but, but it's every little thing that we do that we fall into these patterns. And I think taking the time to think about, is this really what I want? And then breaking that habit. I mean, that's hard. That's the hard work. It's, it's, it's much harder to do that than it is to take a pill, to take a supplement, to go work right. out, you know. And th- Which really doesn't fix it. anything. No, it's no. Not. Even, even if you look in, in traumatic families or, or divorce and stuff like that, just divorcing sometimes doesn't solve a problem. You still leave with the problem. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Whether it be the way that you're interacting with that person or, you know, there are very few people that I know that actually divorced and, and were like, left as friends and said, well, wish you well and, and, you know, we're just not fit or whatever. They leave with this amount of anger and, and that's not healthy either. Like they just keep carrying on that illness to another place. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And, and, I th- and I think this is the hard part because none of the relationship issues that we have are, are somebody else's fault. Right. right? Oh, all, right. Of your, all of your Everything problems is are, mutual, right, are your right. problem. Mm-hmm. So if I feel a certain way, right, then that's my feeling. It's not the reality. It's not the true reality. It's, it's my feeling of reality, right? So 
the, the, the empowering aspect of this is that I can change that. So this isn't all doom and gloom. This is the empowerment aspect. Now, empowerment comes with, you know, responsibility. It comes with work. Um, you know, we have to take that on. But if we can get to that state of readiness, that, that state of resolve, and say, you know what, I understand that, that my thyroid issue may be caused by, you know, being uh, molested at seven years old or uh, verbally abused at nine years old. And that wasn't my fault. And I developed mechanisms to deal with that. Now it's my job to undo that. Now it's my job to sort of reset and to do the work to let that stuff go such that my physiology, my autonomic nervous system, my, uh, my hypothalamus, my, every part of my body can then work in harmony, right, in balance. And so I think this is, it's, it, it, uh, unfortunately, it, it sits on, a, on a, a high level, right? It's like I'm not giving really any practical information here except to say that if we, what I'm trying to do is bring awareness to this, because if we, if we continue to ignore this, we will continue to battle the symptoms and these quote-unquote diseases that we face. And the key to really get into the bottom of this stuff most of the time is actually on this bigger level, because this, this, these type of things that um, you know, haunt our subconscious or even maybe in our, our conscious mind, they dictate our behavior. They dictate our thought patterns. They dictate literally everything we do. So why are we reaching for that, you know, that cake at, at 9 p.m. that's going to destroy metabolism, destroy sleep, and create all kinds of problems? You know, um, it's because of the other things. You know, so, so I think we have to just at least start by recognizing that, that, that it's a very real possibility that these you know, emotional traumas, these relationship traumas, these, 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 these feelings and thoughts that we have are controlling our physiology in a much bigger way than the doctor will tell us or even the functional practitioner or the integrative practitioner because a lot of practitioners aren't, still aren't trained in this realm to, in order to quote-unquote diagnose or recognize these patterns. And mm-hmm. most of them don't know how to deal with them very well. So it's not going to be in their purview you know, it's not, it's going to remain outside the clinical um, application. So it's hard, but this is all the self-work and it is really, really empowering when you decide that, you know what, I'm going to take this responsibility on myself and I'm going to do the work and, it, and I'm not going to be perfect and that's okay. And the whole point is to do the work, you know, that is the journey. And, and, and as I can uncover this stuff and peel back the layers, I'm going to find new parts of myself that start to reveal in ways that, you know, you can't even imagine. And so I think we, if we look at this as a blessing, right, as this massive hurdle that we're trying to learn how to jump over, but once you jump over it, you know, once you cross that finish line of the marathon, there's this in, insane amount of accomplishment and gratitude for the process. And, you know, it just makes you stronger. It makes you wiser. It makes you uh, more compassionate towards others because you recognize the challenges. So there's just a lot of benefits, I think, when we start to take this on and recognize it and do the work to, to uncover what's there, um, that's when everything starts to unfold, I think. And what's so amazing to me is I'm kind of right there. I'm right at that realizing it's a blessing, and I'm kind of <laughs> up and over. I'm, I'm really there, so I'm consciously trying to do things. And I'm also conscious not to beat myself up when I've made the decision, right? I've made the decision to, right. to look at myself and then get up every day. And I don't berate or beat myself up on the days I can't do it because I've decided that this is just me moving forward and every day isn't going to be perfect. And just because I didn't do it one day doesn't mean, oh, I got to start all over or whatever. It's really a lot about your mind. And I love that you said that. I wanted to say a couple of things, too. You know, it's it's really important that 
that you get this message out there, and I'm so glad we have you on the show because it is such a blessing. But think about the kids, you know, like my kids. Yeah. Because if I'm living this, then I'm just perpetuating the same thing, and I want to break that as opposed to them having to undo anything. I want her, right. my daughter and my son to grow up not having anything to undo. You know what I mean? I mean, I really want to kind of show them the way. And, um, and you know, divorcing my family, of course, you know, tongue in cheek, it would be great. But really, it's a chance for me to look at, a chance for me to look at me. You know, what right. about it's, like it's, what you're saying, you know? It's divorcing the emotions, I think, is really yes. the key, right? Yes. So it's, it's emotional divorce, right? It's so it may not even be that, you know, you have to totally emotionally disconnect. It's an emotional resolve, right? It's an emotional agreement almost with yourself. Um, and the funny thing is with your kids, I totally understand what you're saying. But here's the irony is that even if they are passed on some of these things, uh, that's their opportunity to grow, to learn, to, mm-hmm. to figure out who they really are, right? So it's, it's this really funny dichotomy that's sort of um, a big irony, which is that all these things are gifts even for your kids, even though you want to be the protective parent, it's like, it's still a gift for them. The real key I think is, are you able to transfer this understanding, this wisdom, this knowledge that you've picked up such that whatever they go through, they have the power and the ability and the gift and the blessing to work through it. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, and, and I, I, I totally, I'm, I'm with you right there too. When you say that, you know, you're kind of right there at that point of recognizing it's a blessing. I think what I've recognized is that you get to that first point or, whatever, you start to recognize, oh, this is a gift, you know, because it's, a, it's teaching me something new. In fact, I think, you know, a lot of the shamans will say that, um, you know, the, the, the disease or symptoms are for your mother. Um, they, they're a gift, right? And so, and, and the mother will birth you if, you if you choose to go through labor, basically. Right. You will be birthed into this world um, anew. And if not, then, you know, you're, you're birthed into another world. But, uh, so, so these are a gift. And I think, if we can accept them and we can, we can uh, you know, work through them, they are fantastic. But the irony is, is that there's never, it's not just one. <laughs> so, right, you're never so, finished, so, right? For, for me, <laughs> it's like, okay, this is a gift. This is fantastic. I'm learning, you know, it's teaching me how to live my life in, in harmony. And then you, fig- you think you get through something and then something else pops up. And you're like, okay, I guess I'll go through this new thing <laughs> with the same mm-hmm. thing. Yep. And you keep going. And, and for me, there was a certain level of frustration. It's like, well, aren't I done yet? <laughs> you know, like, uh-huh. didn't, I, didn't I do this work already? And then something new pops up, and it's like, well, crap, I thought I got to the bottom of that. And then, you know, it's sort of this funny dialogue that I have with myself. It's like, no, it never stops. It's, it just keeps going. And how, how can you learn to live in harmony with this and continue to ride the wave, right? So it's, it's, I think as you get to this humorous point about life and your journey and what you're here for and learning about yourself, um, it just gets a little easier, and and, you, and they, the bumps don't feel like bumps. They just feel like part of the of the ride. I was going to say, before we get into all of this, let's talk about your health journey, but we are way into it already. But I do <laughs> want to back up, if you don't mind, because I know that you had some health issues or concerns, and I just kind of want people to know where you came from yeah, and where I'll you are to, now. I'll you, keep this quick, because... Yeah, I mean, I had I had knee issues when I was 13 years old, and I was an athlete. And so um, doctors told me, you know, this is overuse. And even at 13, when I didn't really know what was going on, I thought, that's kind of silly. You know, I'm 13. There's professional athletes that are like 40 that don't have this, right? So I knew it was nonsense. But for me, issues started, like real joint issues. I mean, real, you know, I developed sort of nodules on my knees and all kinds of joint issues. And um, that, that, that sort of kicked off my 
my thought process about health. But then in my 20s, I had seborrheic dermatitis, which, you know, it's pretty obvious. I mean, this is basically dandruff on your face, and it's and it was massive. I mean, it was big. I mean, it was, all, I mean, it was pretty intense. And so um, this is back in 2000 or so, 2001 maybe, when the Internet wasn't really the Internet yet, right? I mean, we were still using web crawler and, you know, <laughs> I, I, I dial up and some, you know, I mean, it was slow. And Wikipedia wasn't around. I mean, nothing was around, right? It was like such basic info. But I, I had to figure out what, how to resolve this seborrheic dermatitis because the steroid creams and the Selsun blue on the face and all these garbage, you know, recommendations from the doctors. Um, weren't working. And so it forced me down this path to, to find that, that, that solution for myself. And so that just kind of kicked off my journey, recognizing that the whole thing's a scam, um, that the medical industry is not, the traditional medical industry is not there to help you with chronic issues. Uh, it doesn't have the tool sets to help you with chronic issues. At best, it can, it can minimize symptoms. And then, you know, I got into the whole pharmaceutical thing and started realizing what that was and, you know, the genetically modified stuff and the toxins and the chemicals and realizing the coercion between governments and big agencies. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, I just kind of it just unraveled me, you know, uh, totally opened up my worldview to recognizing that none of this was really here for me. And it was all designed um, for some other purpose, uh, you know, whether that be just to make money or or gain control or what have you. But I knew it was a big scam that it was that I wasn't going to get resolution. So, so that's kind of what sent me on the, on the path. And then it just became this constant um, journey of, of learning more and more, uh, working with people um, over the years and, and getting into the integrative functional medicine model of health. And, uh, and it's actually more of a model of disease, which is fine because it's a, it's a fantastic model to, to, to deal with disease symptoms, chronic disease. It does a much better job with chronic disease. But even with the functional medicine, I recognized with clients that I was working with that Despite the method of functional analysis, you know, let's say I'd run a uh, 24-hour, um, you know, dried urine test for, for hormones, right? So I could see the cortisol pattern on somebody, right? Which is, this is important to thyroid. So if anybody's dealing with thyroid issues, running a 24-hour cortisol pattern is a fantastic way to see how your cortisol and thyroid are interacting. And, and I would run these panels and I'd say that a cortisol pattern that was just totally messed up, you know? And the, the integrative functional model traditionally would, would look at ways to deal with that functionally, whether it be through supplements, through diet, et cetera. Right. But I recognize that circadian rhythm was a big thing for that. So if I just fix somebody's sleep, get them outside in the morning to get natural light in their eyes, blocking you know, this artificial light at night, I could change their cortisol pattern. So I, it taught me that lifestyle was really, really where I, I wanted to, to get in there and do, the, do some damage with my clients. You know, and so, so I, I kind of transitioned from this more integrated functional medicine model to a, to a lifestyle medicine model, which is, it, and I think it's really important right now because our life, our environment, uh, our lifestyles are, have changed more in the last 20 years than throughout all human history, probably combined. Mm-hmm. You know, with the advent of, of the technology that we're using uh, constantly. Um, I, I mean, you ladies, I'm sure remember, you know, how often were you on the, your cell phone in high school? <laughs> right. I'm sorry. What was that laugh. in high school? Oh, oh, oh what? <laughs> right. Right. I, I mean, I'm I'm relatively young. I'm 37, and I didn't have a, a cell phone in high school. Nobody did. So right. we have to recognize how far we've come, and not only how far we've come in, in terms of technological development, but look at how you're using technology now. You know, and we're all doing it, and it's almost the way of life. You almost cannot can't not do it, right? Because right. It's just the way you, you interact and the way our culture and environment is right now. So, so all this has changed. And if we don't recognize um, 
the patterns, the lifestyle patterns that we've shifted over the last 20, 30, 50, 60 years, then we're likely to go down these paths that lead towards disease and symptoms and thyroid issues and cancers and autoimmune conditions. And so it's, so for me, it became this, this education uh, with my clients um, and then, you know, ultimately into a, a film series that was just looking at lifestyle and how can we understand how to re-engage our world in a way that's conducive to health because all medicine models, none of them deal with health. They actually all deal with disease, mm-hmm. right? You don't go into a functional medicine doctor, integrated medicine doctor, naturopathic doctor and say, you know, I'm really healthy, but I want to be healthy. Can you help me do that? <laughs> right? They're going to look at you and go, uh, well, we can run some blood tests or whatever, <laughs> you know, and they're going to try to tweak things. But they're not going to teach you anything about health because even in the integrative functional you know, Chinese, uh, none of them really are, are designed to teach you about health because health is already there. Health is built within you. It's innate. Right. It's, it's in right. your DNA. It's, it's there. The key is how do you align with yourself, with your environment, with the relationships, with uh, the foods, with everything, with the movement. That's, it's all in relation to what you do every day. And that's on you. It's not on a medical doctor or practitioner of any kind. So for me, that's kind of where I felt I could make the biggest impact with trying to teach people the basics about how to live a life in the modern world that is conducive towards health. Right, and that's so difficult because everybody, especially in the United States, I don't know, you were elsewhere. I did live in Costa Rica for eight years, but um, the convenience factor, how do you teach yeah, people, yeah. right? Yeah. So I mean, everybody's so, so I, into the convenience factor. It's, I don't know, the balance. Can't. I love that you live in Costa Rica. I want, I want to bring this up, too, because I think this is really important. And this hit me hardest on our, on our journey around the world. And, and our, it started in Costa Rica for us, so that was our first trip. And oh, I tell you, so you, cool. you'll, you'll, you'll understand this. When I got there, and keep in mind, we're, we're working, right? So we are uh-huh. – uh, it, it's not a vacation. We know we have, we're there for 10 days. We have to go find these, you know, 80, 90, 100-year-olds. You know, I speak Spanish okay, but I need a translator uh, to really be effective. It's not like you can email these people. It's not, there's a, it's not a list of 100 jobs <laughs> no. that we can just set up an interview in advance, right? No. So we, we basically show up, and we're like, okay, let's go find some old people. <laughs> and so, oh, you know, wow. we're, we're, we're trying to get this done, right? So it's sort of stressful, right? And you, you're, you're given this 10-day time frame, and then we got to go on and, and do the next thing. And so, and yet, when I was down there living in this, we, did an, we had an Airbnb, and it was this very basic, simple, mm-hmm. flat you know, mm-hmm. a couple bedrooms, a kitchen. Uh, I think there was a, a, a quasi couch in a quote, quote unquote living room. There was no real TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing there. It was just a shower. Everything's all no taller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The right. shower just, it, it was just water. <laughs> Whatever temperature <laughs> it was, it, it was. Right. Right. And, <laughs> and, and we had this big barn door thing that like closed to, to open the, and so when we got there, time stopped. Time slowed right. down. Mm-hmm. And I can't explain it. It's, an, it's a feeling, it's an, it's an energy, it's a quality of time, right? So it's, it's literally, this is the funny aspect about time. And we all know this, right? When you, good things, you know, um, time flies when you're having fun, you know, uh-huh. felt like it, 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 we all experience time slowing down or speeding up. And, it, and it, for me in that, in that moment and for, for John, the filmmaker, time slowed down and it stopped. You know, we'd get up in the morning, we'd have our amazing Costa Rican coffee. We'd sit there on the porch trying to figure out what we're going to do today, how we're going to go, uh, our plan, plan of action. You know, and people are walking around, you know, these cows were like moving from one field to the next, like right in front of us, there's like 
you know, howler monkeys. Uh, mm-hmm. among us. There's, I mean, there's just like all kinds of weird stuff going on. <laughs> Iguanas, you know, rustling, rustling around on our roof. Um, and I, we walked to the store. So because everybody there was slowing down, the, the environment slowed down and it made you feel like you have more time. And so mm. it was this amazing quality of time thing that, you know, we'd be sitting there on our porch drinking our coffee and we'd think, oh, it's probably 9 a.m. You know, we've been sitting here for a while. And it's like 7.45, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. And we're like, what the heck? And, we, and I had, we had access to, to Internet and Facebook and email and all this stuff, so it's not like we were totally disconnected. Um, right. We were a little more disconnected. But because everybody else was slowing down, it was slowed down, we slowed down. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a feeling. And then as soon as we got back mm-hmm. to the U.S., like as soon as we landed, I felt like I was late for something. Oh. I can't explain it, you know. And I, but and I try. I totally get it. Because it's very difficult, but you get it, right? I do. When I, oh, she when gets I did, it, yeah. <laughs> when I started this Thyroid Nation radio, I was living in Costa Rica. We lived there for eight years. And I'm like teary and going to cry. I'm texting Tiffany, Tiffany while, you're, while you're talking. And she's like, <laughs> I know. I mean, it was such an amazing feeling. And not only that, the people were really happy. Yeah. And, and they slowed down. And everything, we call it, you know, Tico time. But it was amazing. Yep. Like, I had this feeling. I got, I got my hair done which was, you know, the whole thing with the color and cut, you know, $30. I'm not kidding. So anyway, besides that happy fact, um, I get there and I'm late and I'm late. I'm like 15 minutes late and I am profusely apologizing. And my hairdresser who became a friend is like, it's so no big deal. And I'm like feeling it, but she's not feeling it. And so eventually over the years I learned they just don't, it just doesn't work that way. And so it is a feeling in a way that you can't explain unless you live there because I really right. miss it. It slowed everything down and it made kind of some things feel more meaningful and time feel more meaningful. And I really miss <laughs> yeah. it. I do. Exactly. And, and to me, this is the big key, you know, and this is the hard part for us in, in, the, in the West or the quote unquote modern world. You know, um, everything there has more meaning because because of the simplicity and getting back to what you mentioned, which is the, uh, the convenience or lack of convenience, you know, walking to the store for us was not a big deal because uh-uh. we weren't in a hurry. So in other words, if it took us 45 minutes, it's okay. Cause there's no real rush to do things, you know? <laughs> and so, but here, I mean, sometimes I won't even walk a mile because it's like, Oh, it's just faster just to drive, you right, know, um, just get there quicker. Right. And then I can just park and get my thing and get done and come back and do my work and do whatever I need to do because time, time is money. Right. And mm-hmm. so when you change that and when you, when you have the simple things, the simple things become more meaningful. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, we were hanging our clothes to dry on the clothesline, right. After mm-hmm. we, after we washed our clothes in this like really janky <laughs> washer. I mean, it was like, I mean, it's basically just swirling water around. I mean, I, I can't even call it a washer. I mean, honestly, oh we had better washers in, in the U.S. 40 years ago, you know. I, I mean, know. It's, it's laughable. Oh and so, but, but you have time because it, it, after it washes your clothes, you have time to hang them because mm-hmm. you're not in a rush. And then you have mm-hmm. time to let them dry on, on, the, on the clothesline. And, and people forget, and, you know, even for people like me, I didn't even grow up in a time like this. But we used to do this here in the U.S. 50 years ago. Yeah, I was going to say not that line. long ago. Not no, I remember ago. when yeah. I was a, a young kid, my, my babysitter um, after, after elementary school, she had like one of those little square clotheslines, you know, with like three or four different layers, you know, that mm-hmm. type of thing. A pole uh-huh. with a clothesline that's kind of in the shape mm-hmm. of a square. It looks like a big umbrella almost. 
And so I kind of remember that, right? So even then I kind of remember. And so, um, but this, that's not convenient. You know, it's much more convenient to toss your, your clothes into a, a, these new high powered dryers that can dry your clothes in a matter of, of minutes, you know, but think about that. Now we have the complexity of building dryers as opposed to just letting our clothes hang out on the line. Um, you know, so what resources did it take to build those dryers? Um, now you have, you know, dryer sheets and these all kinds of things that go into the dryer. You have the energy that it takes to run the dryer. You have your money that is that you have to pay to get the dryer, which could be spent elsewhere on more important things. So you can see that we've created complexity. And the more we create complexity in our lives, the and more complexity is built upon that. Exactly. Want. And so... You know, people have washers because they have 50 million outfits rather than, you know, my husband's grandmother who died at 100. Exactly. She literally had two nice, you know, she had the one to wear to the Yugoslav club. Like there was there was so much less. They had right. so much less, you know. Right. Right. And, so, and think about, so when you think about that and you think about the convenience, how many people are grateful for a dryer? I don't know mm. anybody. Zero, mm-hmm. zero people, including myself, <laughs> you know, because it's just that's the way things are. You just get a dryer, you know. And well, I have, to, I have to interrupt you there because I, I was almost about to say me, but that's because I, I, didn't, have one, I didn't have one I'm for totally eight years. For my dryer. <laughs> I didn't right. have one for eight years, but the only reason I really like my dryer because I still hang a lot of things is because it makes my towels fluffy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's it. But, but because your towels get funny? really scratchy. <laughs> a little bit of a crunch You're there on the clothesline. You're only grateful right. because you, you we went with that without. So you have a, a sense right. of the other side of things. So um, I think this is this is sort of metaphorical, but I think it's also very real in terms of the energies that we bring into our lives, which is that we have too much shit. Sorry, we can I swear? Um, no, no, <laughs> no, it's so true. <laughs> we have too much stuff is a way. So think about what that means physiologically, mentally, emotionally. Do you, do, are we really naive enough to think that, oh, no, this is just physical stuff. My mental and my emotional states are totally clear and clean and, you know, simplified. No, we are overcomplicating our physiology, our mental, uh, emotional states, um, our spiritual states, perhaps. It's all clutter. And so, you know, this gets, I mean, there's, there's, there's whole sciences and, and practices built out of this stuff, right? I mean, what do you think feng shui is? It's, it's, it's organizing energy in the space. But this also translates to our body, our physiology, our mind, our emotional states, et cetera. So I think one of the big lessons that I, that I took home, um, you know, I, I've traveled all around the world. So I, I, it's been a, a continuous journey for me, you know, both personally traveling and then for work. And most cultures around the world don't have the stuff that we do, and they don't need it, and they don't want it. You know, they don't have the space. They don't have the, the, the accumulation. So one of the things I think anybody with disease symptoms or stuff they're trying to deal with health-wise it sounds really silly kind of, but just get rid of stuff in your house. Clear out your closet. Get <laughs> right. rid of things you don't need. Simplify your, your makeup. Simplify your cleaning products. Simplify your kitchen utensils. You don't need all the stuff you have. And give it away. You know, First, the act of giving to others will heal you. That's been proven over and over again by many different sciences. It's not even right. controversial at this point, but literally giving to others, giving your energy, giving your thoughts, giving your prayers, giving things, giving money, giving time, it all helps heal you. Um, so do, that's one aspect. The other aspect is you're clearing the space and clearing the energy of the old. Get rid of the old. Get rid of the stuff you don't need. Get rid of the stuff you don't use. And also the act of getting rid of that stuff will then transform the way you interact with your environment. So when you were down in Costa Rica, when you probably first got down there, I'm sure there was this you know, sense of excitement and all this stuff, but your lifestyle 
was forced to change, whether you liked it or not. And some of it you probably loved, but some of uh-huh. it you probably had to get used to. Where it's like, uh-huh. oh, I don't have a dryer. Like a I don't have a washer. Shower. Okay. <laughs> right. A suicide shower, right? right? Yeah, no. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so, but that changed your, your behavior. And so I think we can, mm-hmm. these are the things we have to consciously uh, interact with and engage with in our own lives here when we have an overabundance of everything um, is start to simplify. Simplify your food, you know. Um, let, me ask, let me ask you this. What, do you, what was your thought about the diet in Costa Rica when you were there? How did you what, – what are some big takeaways from your standpoint from a dietary perspective? Well, I have a, a few different, you know, takes on it. But basically, um, we just met someone the other day who loved Costa Rica, so wanted to talk and talk about it. And so it's on, fresh on my mind. It was very bland, and it was very yeah, simple. Yep. It was yep. – cassada was, you know, you had the rice and the beans and the plantain <laughs> and then your protein yep. – and right. you know maybe a little salad chicken yep. and that was it yep. yeah that was it yep yep 100 percent. and i remember eating that you know frequently and wasn't <laughs> it ironic that despite the blandness simplicity of it it was very good was it not I yeah mean, it was for me it was. And it was for john and everybody we were that down there with they were it was just it was like amazingly good for how simple it was so it was it you know it, it all of that started to show I me. Mean, this, this was the case in Greece. It was the case in, in Italy. It was the case all over. Everything was more simple. And, and this I, is today. Imagine Costa Rica 50 years ago before they had uh, electricity in the villages. They didn't have electricity until like, like 1960, 1970 in a lot of these, wow. these villages. That means no streetlights. That means no oh, yeah. uh, transport of foods. That means, I mean, life was totally different. And yet, and we would hear stories about how long it took the ox cart to actually travel from one right. point to the next point with the coffee, and my kids' <laughs> minds were blown. Like you've got to be yeah. kidding, right? <laughs> right, right. And so these are the things, you know. And I asked one of the one of the guys in Costa Rica. I said, you know, does anybody you know um, have any digestive issues? You know, can't go to the bathroom, bloating, and you know, these type of things. And he, he was a he was a tour guide. He's like he's my age, thirty seven, and he's a tour guide, so he spoke really good English, actually. Okay. Um, and his whole family, his generation had, uh, you know, generations grew up in, in the area that we were, we were in, um, in Samara uh, on the West Coast. Right. And mm-hmm. um, he, he, he said, like, what do you mean? Like, they can't go to the bathroom? You know, he, he, right. you know, what he was so mean, confused right? by the question <laughs> that mm-hmm. he had to try to clarify it to try to answer it. And so it showed me that, like, they don't have these things, you know. And, of course, that's just one person's perspective. But, um, but I asked him, I said, anybody you know? you know, have had these issues. He's like, no. And he's like, well, you know, my, my grandpa, but he's like, you know, he was like 90 something. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, you know, people start to decline in their 90s, right? Um, right. Same thing with sleep. You know, I asked, I asked about sleep issues. And it's funny because I asked him, I said, you know, do you know anybody you know have sleep issues? And he said, no, man, no. <laughs> and he's like, he, but oh. he, said, he said, he said, the only person with sleep issues is me because I have all this bad, this business and I'm trying to run these things and I have the Airbnb. Mm. And so I, if that doesn't show you that lifestyle you know, because he's in the environment, he's doing all the things. It, it was only his, uh, his business, his interaction that was creating sleep issues, right? Well, so I had that the other day. He even noticed. He said, "Mom, how come I used to sleep better in Costa Rica?" <laughs> right. 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 I mean, he's, it's, it's he even like recognized it. You know, how come? I'm like, well, blah blah right. blah blah. Right. Yeah. Right. And this and, 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 and one of the one of the things, and this, this actually gets into the thyroid specific stuff. Um, you know, circadian rhythm is, a, is the, the rhythm by which our biology operates that's mostly guided by the light, 
right? So we are, we are creatures of the light. You know, we wake up to the light. We go to sleep when it gets dark. This is the process. And every organ, every cell, every tissue in your body is guided by this process. In fact, you have something called a clock gene um, that, is, that basically determines the actions of specific genes based on the, the timing of day. So this is why we all feel like crap when we travel time zones and we, you know, we have jet lag that's four hours or five hours because our, our physiology is totally off with the light cycle. And so it takes us time to, to readjust. And, you know, one of the things in Costa Rica or many other natural places that you might, you might live or even when you go camping is that you're outside in the daylight. So that, that daylight mm-hmm. is guiding your physiology. It's entering your eyes. It's, it's, it goes to this, it sends a signal to something called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which talks to your hypothalamus and your pituitary that guides hormone regulation and everything else. Um, the light on the skin, we actually know that um, corticotropin-releasing hormone Basically, that the the cortisol, the you know, precursor to cortisol, is is produced in the skin when when light hits the skin. So we we thought we used to think that that this sort of precursor to cortisol only happened in the brain. We now know it actually uh, is is created when light hits the skin. So light is a very big part of this. When you're in Costa Rica and you're getting natural light, and then at night you have much less artificial light, you know, disrupting sleep, disrupting the circadian right. rhythm. Now you start to sleep better, right? And sleep is where every healing thing happens. Everything happens during sleep. So if you're trying to heal from disease, sleep is critical. But more importantly, or maybe just as importantly, is circadian rhythm, the actual rhythm. So aside from the sleep component, the actual rhythm of which your organs, your tissues, your cells function guides how your body operates. And with the thyroid, there's, I've seen one study in particular that showed that there's over 1,000 genes in the thyroid alone that are either upregulated or downregulated based on the timing of day. So at 9 a.m., certain genes will turn on and other ones will turn off. At 5 p.m., another, other ones will turn on and other ones will turn off. A thousand genes that are, that, are, that are related to thyroid function are guided by this light cycle. So if you have thyroid problems, circadian rhythm is critical for you. you, know, you in fact, you're not going to figure out you're not going to get to an optimal state until circadian rhythm is established. So there's so many components of this that really just go back down to the simplest of things, you know, and it was really illustrated well for us in Costa Rica and Icaria, Greece and, and Okinawa and all these other places that lived a more natural life, particularly 50 and 60 and 70 years ago when these 90 and 100 year olds were, you know, in their 20s, 30s, 40s, et cetera. Mm. I have to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, curious about the centenarians were most of them where you interviewed them where they lived in other words were they where they were native to does that make sense yeah 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 in fact yeah most of them were um and if i maybe even all of them because first of all you know there's been work done on the blue zones um previously and and you know a lot of this idea of like why are these places so special and i don't think it's the places you know i think what happens with um, particularly with islands, is that people don't move around. You know, so if you think about island nations, particularly 100 years ago or 80 years ago when these 100-year-olds were sort of born or, or, or whatever were growing up, um, the, the opportunity to leave the, the place wasn't there, right? So if you're in Sardinia in the mountains, uh, mountain villages of Sardinia where there's a lot of centenarians, you're not going to make your way over to the main land of Italy. Like you're there. And, and your generations, your past, were all there. 
So, yeah, a lot of them were, were native there. Their family was native there. I think what happens from a biological perspective is, is that their microbiota, right, the, the organisms that live in the gut and the skin and in the liver, these things are all over and within us, and they control function. Their microbiota get uh, uh, supremely adapted to that environment. In other words, they're able to recognize the environment very well and deal with the environment very well. Their mitochondria, which also have their own DNA that lives inside the cells that guide you know, energy production and all kinds of things, um, those get supremely adapted to that environment. And then thirdly, their DNA, their actual human DNA, get supremely adapted to the environment. So I think over generations and generations on these islands, what you have is you have multiple genetic components that are all supremely adapted and optimized for that environment. And as we move, up, move around the globe, our, all our gene components, meaning our bacterial genes, you know, our viral genes, our human genes, our mitochondrial genes, they have to start to adapt to the environment, right? So it, it may not be so optimal in that setting. You know, in terms of moving around generation after generation, you have somebody from Sweden, then they go down to Costa Rica and then have kids there right. and then Costa Rica. That may not be all that optimal for quote unquote longevity. Um, so, so I think from a longevity perspective, I think that's kind of what's happening. And in fact, Michelle Poulon, who is the demographer who looked at a lot of these places that have high numbers of centenarians, he actually thinks that um, Cuba might be the next um, sort of longevity area. Uh, and it makes sense because it's an island, and they have been basically isolated from the West due to mm-hmm. uh, political and, and economic differences. So um, I thought that was very interesting that, that he was looking at Cuba, and he thinks that um, mm-hmm. he's gonna, he still has a lot of work to do to verify all this stuff, but he thinks that that's a, that's a good uh, likelihood. So Yeah, so very I would think so that I, would be I mean, a great place to, to check makes because sense, yeah. they're not moving about. They're staying there, right? Right. Right. And the culture is the same, right? So you know, mm-hmm. one of the fascinating things that's always come up in my mind over, you know, when I was younger was, you know, why is there Italian food? Why is there, you know, Indian food? Why is there Ethiopian food? Why is there Cuban food? And it's because these cultures throughout history have used the foods that were local to them mm-hmm. to, um, that have found out over time what has treated them well from a health perspective and basically concocted formulas that uh, we call recipes that are basically just epigenetic signals for them to live healthy. So that's why Italian mm-hmm. food is a certain way that has been passed on through many generations, and you have all these variations in foods. So it shows you that there is no optimal diet. There is no one optimal food. It's a matter of what is appropriate for you, your biology, your genealogy, um, given the context of your environment. And, and so I think that, that's where it starts to become really interesting, um, which is why when you look at Costa Rica and you're looking at rice and beans and corn being Well, that's what I was going to say. Right. Right? Beans, but we demonize right? those in the West, right? We, I know. Yeah, we, we completely demonize these foods in the yes, West. Yes, we do. And in fact, most people that eat them in the West don't do well. Um, and, and as a health practitioner, I don't advise people to eat rice, beans, and corn um, in the U.S. that are having health issues. And it's not because rice, beans, and corn are bad foods. It's because... Mm-hmm. Primarily, we've totally destroyed the food supply with regard to, you know, those three crops and many others. Um, you know, corn has BT toxin due to the, the genetically modified component of it. You know, it's transported all over the place. We don't prepare it properly. I mean, the way they prepare corn in, in Costa Rica is drastically different than the way we prepare it here. Um, so, so all these components, you know, destroying the food supply, destroying the soils that the food is grown in, destroying the transportation aspect of it, you know, also play a huge role. And so... 
you know, we have to look at the whole picture and not just look at, okay, what's my gene, my genealogy? And, okay, well, I'm Polish, therefore, even though I'm in living in California, I have to eat Polish food. Um, you know, there may be some component of truth to that, which is to say that your genes, your mitochondria, your even to some degree bacterial aspects of you, maybe are more well designed to deal with those foods, right? We've seen studies where Indians, Native Indians, not Native Americans, but Indians, um, do better with curry. Like they, they, they know how to harness the right. components of turmeric and some of these other spices because it's been in their history for so long that their mitochondria have learned how to get these signals and use them appropriately for their health. Right. Their, their, right. their genes have been supremely adapted for those chemical signals that come from those foods. Whereas me, with a Northern European heritage, probably don't do as well with those. It's not that they're bad. They still mm-hmm. may provide me some benefit. But I'm not probably able to harness the capacity of those foods as well. And we know this through other research, too, where we see Japanese people that have eaten seafood um, and, and sushi for generations. They had, a, a, a basically, a gene transfer happened at some point in the past, fairly recent past, a thousand years ago or so, where they basically stole an enzyme from seaweed um, that – or a an enzyme from the, I believe the, the gene transfer came from the seaweed, uh, I think, that then allowed them to digest other aspects of, of the sea life. Or it may have came from fish, and then that allowed them to digest seaweeds and other things. Wasn't, I think better. they didn't start to cultivate seaweed until like 1940-something, I believe. Yeah. yeah. But, they, and they, but they've just been eating seaweed or uh, uh, seafood. Uh, you know, and particularly the island nations, right? Because right, that's right. What else are you going to do? Um, and and there, we, we've seen an enzyme transfer, a genetic enzyme right, transfer. Exactly. They actually have more enzymes to break down seafoods than somebody that didn't grow up in that area doesn't have that 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 you know sort of gene transfer right. that occurred. So we know that this is the case. We have mechanisms to explain it. We don't fully understand all this stuff yet. Right. But but it's reasonable to expect from an sort of evolutionary biology perspective. It makes a lot of sense. Um, we mm-hmm. have evidence of it. Um, and it, it, if you just think about humans and all life, it's, life is all about adaptation, period, right? We have the sun is changing, the earth is changing, the environment's changing, the weather changes, the seasons change, everything changes. And so basically life has to adapt to the change. And this is what we would call selective pressure if you're into sort of this Darwin style of, of thinking or, or what have you. Um, but either way, selective pressures, these pressures on the environment, you know, Higher altitude people, lower altitude people, they all have different, um, you know, genetic transitions that happen over time. And so, um, so I think there's, there's a lot to, to be said for that stuff. But at the end of the day, too, we can really go down some rabbit holes without thinking about the practical application of, is this food in front of me whole? Is it organic? Hopefully, did it, you know, is it from somewhere near me? Is it fresh? Am I eating the whole thing or am I eating a component of it? Is it processed? Now, those are the basics. I think if we start there, everything else gets, gets you know, kind of worked out for the most part. And I think a lot of it comes back down to the simplicity that, that we talked about that we saw in Costa Rica, you and I. Right. Yeah. What, it's, it's, what area did you see the most centenarians? Was there, um, was there somewhere specific where there were like five or, or was it pretty varied over Yeah, it, it was pretty countries? varied. I mean, here's the, here's the thing is that, you know, even when you find the centenarians, um, the reality is that people, quote unquote, degrade, right? The function declines. Um, we, we went, and, and we noticed it, that it happened generally about 100 years old. It's like once, you, once we started interviewing beyond 100, 
um, most of those people weren't able to, they weren't, they didn't provide fantastic interviews because right, right, right. The, either the hearing wasn't as great or they weren't able to really fully grasp the questions and, and give you great answers. Um, so there was a little bit of a loss there, you know, um, right. Julio was 104 who rode a bicycle for us in, in Italy. I mean, <laughs> you know, he was fantastic, you know, and then uh, uh, Hideko in, in Okinawa, um, who was 97, who was tilling up her soil and cutting down sugarcane. I mean, so there's, there's tremendous function, <clears throat> don't get me wrong, but what, wow. what we really found benefit was in interviewing the 80 and 90 year olds because they are still very cognizant of the changes. So they, they remember the past, they remember their parents and the way they, they live, and they also have seen the transition to this sort of new modern life. And so they provided some really great benefits, but the, the, the centenarians were fantastic. I mean, we saw a lot in, in Okinawa where we were, we saw um, a lot of them in Sardinia. Um, there, was, there seemed to be a lot there. And I think there's a lot in Nicoya too, in the Nicoya Peninsula. Um, mm -hmm. So it, 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 part of it was just a matter of can we find these people? Can we arrange an interview? And do we have time? And could, do we have a translator that can help us and all these things? So, um, so we kind of, you know, we, we got what we got. Um, but I can tell you that some of the best interviews we, we had were from a 37-year-old who, who can remember his parents and stories about his, his grandmother who would basically, uh, when she was pregnant, run off to the river to give birth by herself in, wow. in Costa Rica. And I'm like, yeah. and, and people here in the U.S. are nervous about home births with midwives right. and doulas. They think that's dangerous. And I'm like, right. this gal just took <laughs> off to the river, you know, two kilometers to have the baby by herself. To the right. point where, like, the, the rest of the family had to kind of watch her. But it's not that she was crazy. That was her yeah. natural, you know, instinct. Right. And so right. we have to kind of retool our thinking a little bit. But, but so, yeah, the 37-year-old provided fantastic insights that, 68-year-old in Costa Rica, um, Christina, she provided amazing insights. So there was some really good insights. I think the historical context is really what we were after. Um, but, but yeah, there was, there was a lot in Sardinia. There was a lot in, um, in Okinawa and in, in Nicoya. They're kind of all over, really. I mean, every, every place we went, there's a lot. And I think there's a lot in, in other parts of the world that don't get recognition, you know, in, in the jungles and the Himalayas. Right, and, much more. In, in China, you know, in some of these random places and sort of the back country where they're still living right. natural life, you're going to find a lot of centenarians that are that are pretty healthy, I think. So Tiffany and I used to favorite? say, <laughs> oh, well, really quick, I just was going to say, Tiffany and I used to say, and used to be kind of confused or throwing this um, idea around when I was living in Costa Rica and doing the show, the, <laughs> the beans, the beans, you know, and it really <laughs> is genetics. It's genetics and your mom and your health and where you were born and your environment and what your microbiome and your cells are used to. And so yep. we used to say, you know, why are beans bad for Savannah and Wyatt, my kids? But look at all these people <laughs> around us eating beans. We, you know, we yep. used to have this conversation and it really comes down to genetics and all those other factors. It's just, it's amazing to me that more people aren't really kind of getting it or I don't know. It's just, it's a, it's a neat yeah, topic. Well, I, it's, it's hard because, first of all, we have function, right? So if you take somebody like, you know, an adult, you know, um, there's a certain level of function or dysfunction. And anybody that comes to me for, for health stuff, there's a certain amount of dysfunction that we got to work around. So right. for them, beans aren't even a question because they don't have a function. And, and they may not have anything to do with genetics, may not have anything to do with anything else. They, they may be perfectly genetically susceptible to, to, to deal with intolerant beans, but their function is so bad because – their, their digestive enzymes aren't, aren't working very well because they have this glyphosate, constant glyphosate exposure, right? We know glyphosate disrupts uh, enzyme, digestive enzyme function, 
It uh, binds to protein to, to cause immune reactions. It creates leaky gut and opens up gut barriers. Um, glyphosate also transports aluminum into the brain. Um, you know, glyphosate binds to minerals like you know magne- uh, manganese and, and zinc and some of these other things. Um, so that one problem, which is glyphosate, which is now found in every, basically every food in the U.S., even organic, you know, um, it's, it's there because it's all, all around us. So even that one thing disrupts function to such a degree that any food can become a problem. So mm-hmm. I think we have function to deal with and we have to sort of resolve function. Then we have to look at microbiota populations because when you eat anything, what's the first thing that happens? Oh, your microbiota deals with it, right? And they metabolize a, a large part of the food and deal with the breakdown. And then once they metabolize it, like when you eat a blueberry, you know, um, we all know that quote-unquote polyphenols are good for us, right? These quote-unquote antioxidants. Well, mm-hmm. actually, um, those colors and those polyphenols that you're getting from broccoli and blueberries and chocolate and all these things, those are poisons. Um, they are plant chemicals designed to protect the plant. Now, fortunately, humans and other animals, and they, we've, we've um, basically co-evolved with these, these phytochemicals. We've learned how to deal with them. And also, the bacteria and the viral and the fungal and all the components within our microbiota have learned to co-evolve. So when you eat a mm-hmm. blueberry or chocolate, your microbiota digest and metabolize those, those polyphenols and those, those phytochemicals first. And then they spit out metabolites, you know, as byproducts of that metabolism that communicate to our mitochondria and our, and our DNA and our cells. So the thing that you're getting is actually a chemical metabolite that is mm-hmm. uh, actually a stressor, that, but it's, 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 a, it's such a small hormetic stress that it's telling your body, it's like a workout, it's like an exercise. It's telling your body to get stronger, to turn on these genes. So the genes that get turned, turned on might be, you know, um, sort of antioxidant or, or anti-inflammatory type genes, but it's because it's a pro-oxidant that's, that's initiating that reaction. So it's a, it's a pro-oxidant. The body goes, whoa, okay, there's a little stress. Let's turn on this, right? So we have to recognize that we don't know what the heck we're talking about when it comes to food yet. We don't have the data. We don't uh-huh. know. We, we do know that metabolites are produced, but we don't know which bacteria and which viral components and fungal components produce these metabolites. We only know a couple. So when we're eating food, we have metabolites like hydrogen, uh, or, um, hydrogen sulfide. We have nitric oxide. We have reactive oxygen species. We have uh, butyric acid or butyrate. All these things are signaling molecules produced by microbiota. So... And they communicate. They communicate to our mitochondria. They communicate to our, to our DNA and tell them basically about the environment. So it's a massively complex thing that we don't have the first thing. We don't know the first thing about, you know. Um, we're still learning tremendously. But I think it's, it's fair to say that function matters. You know, the microbiota population and balance matters because that's what – if I give you the, the greatest food on the planet, you know how many people that have come to me um, with, that can't eat strawberries? They can't eat broccoli. And it's not because those are bad foods. It's not because their genes uh-uh. say it's bad. It's because they don't have the microbiota and the balance to be able to deal with those. So it's a lot of components, I think. And this is where the confusion comes into play. And so the genes matter. The microbiota matters. The function matters. You know, the timing of day matters. So if you eat X in the morning, it will be completely different than you eating X at night. So in a way, it becomes really complex. But mm-hmm. the, the more you integrate with your natural environment, the more simple it becomes because you're eating in a natural way with the cycles, with the seasons, 
You know, I mean, do you remember in Costa Rica, the uh, papaya season, right? Nope. Once papaya season yeah. is over, you basically and have mango, mango season. season. Yeah, we had a huge mango tree in our backyard, yeah. And we right. totally and knew so, when it was going to be mango season, yeah. <laughs> right. So so 60 years ago, there wasn't mangoes out of season. That, 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 that's no. just like, it almost seems impossible. It's like laughable. It does. Well, it seems kind of crazy. Why would you do that, right? Right. But we do it all the time now, mm-hmm. right? Right. Uh, even coffee. You wouldn't have coffee out of season because coffee is a, coffee is a fruit mm-hmm. that is produced mm-hmm. – at certain times of the year, and yes, you can preserve some of it. So, so you can see that there's rhythms, there's seasonal rhythms, there's daily rhythms. Um, you know, you wouldn't eat more in Costa Rica. You wouldn't eat more than you would need because, you know, you were raising the food or there was, you were picking oh, it or you were go- going to hunt lowland paca. You know, um, you would be hunting or you'd be growing or harvesting your food. So why would you want to eat more than you needed because you have to do more work? Yeah. So now this idea of overeating becomes ridiculous. So all these things you have to recognize, once you start to see how this really worked 50, 60, 70 years ago in these places, they circumvented all the problems that we created for ourselves because of convenience, modernization, safety, you know, security, et cetera. So, yes, it's fantastic, but we have to recognize that we have a luxury of choice. We have the luxury of not working our tail off to produce squash. You know, uh, we have a luxury of, of a lot of things. But with that luxury becomes responsibility. And if we, if we don't uh, approach them correctly, that is in harmony with our biology, with nature, then we start to introduce problems. And those problems manifest as symptoms and disease. And those the symptoms and disease are designed to show us what we need to correct. So they're a gift. You know, these, they show us how we're out of alignment with ourselves, with nature, with other people. And that is the real lesson. And it's just a matter of being able to see where, where that you know, disalignment is coming from. And if you don't, if you can't figure it out and you're, you're unable to see it, it will knock louder and it will get worse and it will continue mm-hmm. until you're able to recognize what in my life is out of balance. What in my life is disharmonious? What in my life am I not doing to foster health? So it's complex, but it's also very simple. And we just have to be humble enough to receive that message and look in the real places for the answers. I love that. That's like a fantastic flower filled moment of all moments. I know, right? <laughs> because Tiffany and I, um, you know, we talk at the very end of the show, we have a closing that says, you know, we're all individual. And we've been saying that on this show for three and a half years now. And it kind of has just become the <laughs> mainstream topic for a year and a half, even, you know? And it's yep. really so true. I mean, why is it such a big deal for us to think that we're in so individual, but, you know, uh, with our food and our body and our health? And then, it's totally okay to accept that we all have different fingernails. I mean, fingerprints. It's, you know, not one right. fingerprint is right. unique. You know, but we can't think of that right. in terms of our health. And I just, I kind of wanted to say something really out there and a little funny. You know, you're talking about how all of these things work and, you know, um, chemicals and, and glyphosate and, and our lives. And um, I find myself being a Libra and I find myself, and typically <laughs> while you were saying all that, she was saying, I have this kind of fight with myself about all these things daily because I did the same thing. I was thinking we're going to go after the show. The Thunderbirds are here because I live in Colorado Springs and they are um, the air cadets are, they're graduating. And so I was thinking how cool it's going to be so fun. And then I thought to myself, this other, you know, devil person on the other shoulder was going, God, you know, that's a, that's not a very good source of resource. That's not a very good use for resources. And gosh, I wonder what the, the, the 
the engine and, and the, the gas and all that stuff goes to the environment. And, you know, all these things, and my husband's looking at me like I have nine heads. But I accept <laughs> that, and I think to myself, it means I'm aware. It means I care. It right. means I'm getting it. It means I'm right at that blessing point, and I'm about to just jump over. I mean, at least at least I'm there. <laughs> right. Well, and, I, and, and here's the thing. It actually ties back into what we talked about earlier. Um, you know, I, I came from the engineering world. I was a mechanical engineer for a while, energy engineer. And one of the things that, that I – energy efficiency engineer. And so what, what, one of the things that we were tasked with was to go into a school, a government building, a whatever – and analyze the energy use of this building and figure out ways to implement strategies, whether it be control systems, whether it be new units, whether it be new designs of some sort to save energy. And that sounds like a really, you know, noble task. And I felt really good about myself and I thought I was really important. And um, because, you know, I care about the environment. And through that process, what I recognize is that as an engineer, we can change all these things. We can have higher efficiency units. We can create new systems. We can figure out really novel ways to do things with control systems and monitor uh, CO2 in the air and then shut, shut off units and bring in outdoors. All these crazy things. And you know what's funny is that as we analyze the energy use of buildings, uh, it all came down to the users. <laughs> so we could, we could install a simple example would be a higher efficiency light bulb in a school classroom. But if the teachers don't shut off the lights, then it doesn't matter, right? Or they mm. tape the sensor because they need lights to stay on. Then it doesn't matter, uh, really. So you end up not saving energy. Uh, you can have higher efficiency HVAC units, right? And then the teacher opens the window because they want fresh air. So, mm-hmm. you know, so we're reducing outside air that comes into the, into the uh, HVAC unit because you have to heat the air and cool the air, and that's where the energy comes from. Well, that's great until they open the window and then everything you just did was basically a wash. So the point I'm getting at is that it's all about the way you interact with your environment. I see so many people switching to a, um, you know, a Prius, for example, as, as opposed to a traditional gas car thinking that, Oh, it's electric. I'm getting great gas mileage. This is saving the environment because there's no smog and all these things. And to some degree, yes, probably maybe, but if you're using more electricity, where does that electricity come from? Mm-hmm. Well, as an engineer, I can tell you that most of it comes from either hydroelectric, meaning you're, there's dams that we're building to mm-hmm. destroy the environment, um, so that ain't good, or it's coming from coal plants, right? That's yeah. most of where it's coming from. definitely not good. And there's, 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 right. Right, and there's some wind and there's some other things, but, and some solar. There's some, there's some very minor things, but it's mostly coming from coal and, and hydropower. So coal, what's the problem with that? Well, um, we do have some clean coal technology, and that's all wonderful, but all the mercury that we're talking about in seafood that's so bad for us, that's the mercury coming from coal plants. It's, right. it's ending up in the air, and then it's going into the, into the, the ocean, and then the, sea, then the, the algae, it's, it's basically attached to the algae and small fish, and the bigger fish eat it, and that's why we have tons of, of mercury in tuna, for example. So, and it's not just going into the seafoods. It's going into the soil. It's going to everywhere. So by you driving a Prius, and I'm not demonizing anybody here. I just want to show the complexity <laughs> here. An example, um, right. Right. Instead of using gas, which is great, you're now using electricity, which is coal, which is you know, poisoning the environment in a different way. So what's the solution, you know? Uh, and, and here's another example. I live in Santa Monica, right, which is this just completely uh, rich neighborhood. And, and water costs are really high. And there was, you know, during the summers when, when, the, when there was droughts, they would basically put limits on your water use. Okay, that's all great. Um, so what did people do? A lot of people would actually get fake lawns, these plastic turf lawns, right, which right. kind of looked good to some degree from a distance, but they look fake also. And it was fantastic because you didn't have to water them. Well, okay, except for the plastic, 
and that's basically a petrochemical. And you know, and if we all if we all took that action, then that would be ridiculous. And so you're saving water, but you're using plastic walls. Um, so the point that I'm making is that it goes back to simplicity. Use less, do less, buy less. You know, this is the answer. It's not a matter of this or that. You know, is this one more energy efficient than that? Is this one better for the environment than that? You know what the best thing for the environment is? None. Don't do as much. Don't buy as much. Reduce your consumption. Reduce your use. And this is what's cool, I think, right now in the U.S. We're seeing, and in Europe, Europe too, we're seeing uh, a minimalist movement. This idea that I don't need a massive house. This idea that I can walk places or I can bike places or I can have less stuff. And I think this is fantastic. And I think it's a really great movement. I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's in lockstep with our overall societal changes, which I'm very optimistic about, by the way. I'm, I'm, I may sound pessimistic in a lot of ways, um, but it's more of just pointing out our, our errors or funny things as humans that we right. like to think and do. Um, but we're moving in the right direction. I'm confident of that. I'm confident that we're going to turn this Titanic around um, before it hits that iceberg. And, and I think it's just a matter of looking at our own lives, right? So I think this is the dilemma that you probably caught yourself in. Um, and I catch myself in it all the time. We see the problems. On, on a big global scale or a national scale or a city scale, and we want to change them. But the real way to change that is to change yourself, change mm-hmm. your interaction, change mm-hmm. what you do. And it's the same thing with health. You know how many times I've wanted to help my family members, friends with their health stuff? And, like, I'll share info with them. I'll encourage them. I try every approach. And if they're mm-hmm. not ready, they're not ready. And that's mm-hmm. okay. And so why create more turmoil for yourself and pain for yourself trying to change somebody else? Let them be. Let them do their thing. Let them have their journey, you know, be on their journey. Let them accept that. You be the shining light for them. You, you set the example. You know, organic food 15 years ago was basically non-existent. I mean, I was a weirdo growing organic food in my, in my backyard in Seattle seven or eight years ago. And literally, I was sort of teased by friends and stuff. And, I, you know, whatever. I thought it was fun. Um, but now you can get organic food in Costco and Walmart and everywhere. And why? It's not because the government said, okay, you know, farmers must produce 15% organic food, you know, or 20. No, it's because consumers said, I want organic food for myself and my family, right? So we have immense power, but we have to look at what we're doing, what we're not doing and start there and be, be, be the example. And now, I mean, I live in Southern California, so it's a cool thing here to eat all organic, right? It's cool to have the salads and the green juices and the yogas and, and why is it cool? Because just enough people started to do it that ever, more people wanted to do it, right? Meditation is like, it's like in now, right? So mm-hmm. we have to recognize the power that we have, do the things that, that feel good to us, that, that we align with. You know, I think it would be very good. I would love to see people use more, or use less uh, and, and, and do less. And I think then we start to shift the narrative and things snowball. Um, and, that, and that goes back to the Costa Rican lifestyle, the Icarian lifestyle, the Okinawan lifestyle. They just live more harmoniously. I mean, think, think of traditional Native American, right? I mean, it's like uh-huh. so resourceful, so efficient, right? Um, and we have to bring some of that back, I think. And if we can just buy less, you know, eat less packaged foods. You know, uh, people will eat, a, a, instead of reaching for an organic apple, which is like, I don't know, 70 cents. I don't even look at prices anymore. I just buy what I need, right? Um, an organic apple that is in your local store or an apple picked on a tree is virtually no cost. I mean, it's so cheap. And then you have a bag of organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, 
blah, 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 apple chips. They're like $4 for a bag, right? Right. And it's like those have been processed. They might be organic, and that's great, but they're processed. They're modified. They don't contain the structured water that an apple contains. They don't contain the seeds, which are tremendously beneficial. Um, Everything's changed, you know? So um, I think the simplicity of the apple versus the complexity of the bag of organic apple chips is a really good example of how we're introducing problems for no reason because we just feel like we can do that stuff. (laughs) So we have to kind of look at our decisions and just make slightly better ones. And I think just, you know, reduce complexity and and improve the simplicity. And I think you'll see that that manifests in your, in your emotion, your mental framework, your, 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 your physiology, it all simplifies. Everything. Yeah. It does, and and I guess those could be a couple of you know takeaway action items. You know, just um, simplify. But also, how many people do you know who've ever cleaned out a garage or a car or a sock drawer or whatever it is and not felt better? Right? I mean, oh, it's, it's simplifying. It's yeah, yeah. You, it it helps you. It does. It makes you feel better and lighter. And of course, there's a bunch of science. But if we're going to give people some things to think about, you know, wake up, sit on the side of the bed, think about your day, try to live more simply. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it, honestly, and there's an interesting thing about that, too. Um, you look at, you, you know, the things that you're getting rid of, right, the sort of spring cleaning idea. Um, it, you always come across these items <clears throat> that maybe you haven't used or haven't worn or whatever for a while, but you have an emotional attachment to it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you're like deciding, do I really want to give this up? Like, I kind of might want it, though. You know, and there's this weird. So if you just be mindful in the act of clearing things out. You'll start to recognize your weird emotional attachments to things that aren't real. You know, you have this deep emotional attachment to a shirt or to a, a trinket that sits on a shelf or a book, you know, um, and you hold meaning in these silly things sometimes. And so I think if we look at the Buddhist philosophy of, of really, you know, desire and, and um, some of these things that are really causing pains in us, it's a good opportunity to reflect on what, where our emotions are going and what, where, where emotions are, are attached to. Because at the end of the day, I can guarantee you, uh, you're going to be separated from that at some point, whatever it is. Your mom, your T-shirt, your son, everything goes away, right? And it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing because the temporary aspect of things is the beautiful aspect. This is the, this is the irony of the Human Longevity Project film that we, that we produced, was that in the first episode, we, we actually discount this idea of longevity as being important. It's not. You know, Mm-mm. all there ever is quality. is the ever-present mm-hmm. now, right? It's mm-hmm. the quality of life. It's, it's the way you think and feel about life. It's the right now. And so if you can appreciate the things that you have uh, as opposed to um, glorify the things that you want, um, if you can appreciate the things that you have instead of demonize the, the ache in your knee, um, that is really where I think a lot of this stuff comes from. And ironically, the things that you don't want will start to go away. And because you're appreciating things that you have. And when you appreciate <laughs> yeah. the things that you have, you actually get the things that you kind of want. <laughs> so, you know, it comes back to just coming back to ourselves and, and the now and cleaning these things out. is a really good task to show your emotional attachment to things that probably don't need to be there, um, that are not really that important. And more than just going through your physical items, you know, again, simplify your cleaning products. Simplify the ingredients that you cook with. Simplify what's in your refrigerator. Simplify your bed sheets and use, you know, bamboo sheets or, or organic bamboo or organic cotton. I mean, there's very, very simple things. And I think if we just are a little bit mindful of 
what is this that I'm using and buying? How is it impacting the environment? Um, how is it impacting myself? And this is actually, actually I want to I I divert a little bit here because Dan Kalish, Dr. Dan Kalish, who's one of my favorite people, um, mm-hmm. he, he, he's a sort of a functional integrative practitioner, but he's really, he's really gone a spiritual path and kind of gone into the Buddhist stuff and, and done a lot of meditation things. And he's non-denominational, non-dogmatic about things, very practical and, and very free-flowing. Um, he came up with this idea, he calls it the Tao diet. Um, which comes from Taoism, and it's a, I thought it was a fascinating look at diet. And he said, you know, the first principle of the Tao diet is to eat in a way that that, that benefits the planet. So that's that's mm. criteria number one. So think about that first. Is this thing that I'm eating really is this beneficial to the environment? You know, what what did it take to produce this, and what what was involved? Um, and am I making a really good decision there? Then you think about is this good for my local environment? Right. So am I supporting local farmers? Am I supporting my local soils? Uh, whatever it is in your local environment. And then thirdly, is this, am I eating in a way that's good for me? So now you become the last sort of criteria. And mm-hmm. ironically, if you, if, you, if you satisfy the first criteria and the second criteria, almost inevitably you're going to be satisfying the third, right? It's sort of like, mm-hmm. it, so I thought, wow, that's a really good way to sort of get out of the self-centered approach to diet and think about the bigger picture. And, and so, again, some of this sounds esoteric, but imagine if everybody did that. Right? Uh, imagine if everybody started doing it. Not even everybody. Imagine if 20% of the people started doing that. This is the voting philosophy, right? It's like, oh, well, what mm-hmm. does my vote count? Well, it doesn't. It's just one. But everybody's vote together counts tremendously. And we see this every right. four years or every two years in our political cycles. So, you know, I think we have to take that approach with some of this stuff and, and look at a bigger picture, try to figure out, is this in harmony with me? And there's no, there's no judgment. I mean, I, I do think every day that there's in harmony. You know, I do everything every day to damage myself. Um, and I think part of the journey is to recognize that, you know, we do do those things and we, we, we are better off if we don't judge ourselves and instead just try to reflect on it objectively and make improvements, you know, that, that will help us and everybody else. I like the Tao um, diet. I also like the way the American Indians live, their rules for life. You know, they're, their, their selves are kind of at the list, bottom of the list. You know, they're like always thinking about first think about the planet and then think about, right. you know, they're at the very end. Think about yourself. Um, I, I love that way of thinking. If you're right, if 20% did it, we'd be a much different place. I have hope. I do. I have hope. Me too. Uh, it'll change. <laughs> it, it's changing. I think, um, I think the challenge that we all have going forward is in, in, in the modern world. And, and this is part of the reason we made the documentary too, um, which is that we'll never be, 1952 Costa Rica will never be 1960 Ikaria, Greece. Um, mm-hmm. Nor would we really want to be. We glorified mm-hmm. their life um, because of the simplicity and the beauty of it. You know, they, when they walked home at night, they got to see a billion stars. We see, mm-hmm. I see like five. <laughs> um, so oh, you need to come to them. Joshua Tree. <laughs> I love Joshua Tree. Um, I live in Joshua Tree. <laughs> oh, wow. That's where I, live. Yeah. I look at but the stars every night. Yeah, you made that decision. I mean, it's wonderful. Um, but so, so, you know, we glorify it, but at the end of the day, we can't go back to it. And so the, the way forward is we're going to have to deal with technology. Um, but it's also not this block if we know how to use it appropriately, right? The reality that I, the, the analogy I like to give with technology is that it's a sword and the sword is getting sharper and sharper. So, uh, you know, we can use it for, for our benefit or we can use it to our detriment. And I think that the trick is how do we go forward knowing that technology is going to increase at an exponential rate mm-hmm. um, in terms of its profound nature of its ability to change society. Um, 
So how do we navigate that in a way that's going to help us? And, and I think there's, there's tremendous benefits to things like, you know, these, these sleep trackers like the Aura Ring, um, you know, the infrared technologies that we have, this light and sound therapies that are coming. We have uh, stem cell therapies, all these amazing technologies coming that can really help us. But if we don't have the foundational principles and the foundational mm-hmm. philosophies of what we're here for, why we're doing this stuff, who we really need to care for, which is the planet and others and the next generations, um, then we're all going to be going forward in this selfish act and we're going to destroy everything in the process and we're not going to be happy. So, you know, um, I, I think that's really the, the trick that we have to recognize going forward is how do I use the modern world and technology um, to enhance my life from a, a, the, the real sense of who I am, you know, the heart-centered, the soul-centered uh, aspect of who I am, and then how do we use it in a way that's not going to harm everybody else as well. Um, and that's going to be a challenge. And I don't know, I don't know how it's going to shake out, but I, I'm confident that if we start with the philosophy and we start with the, the understanding that, you know, religious teachers and, you know, spiritual teachers have been trying to, you know, get across for thousands of years, um, then no matter how the future changes, we'll be able to navigate that in a way that's beneficial for all. Mm-hmm. I like that. And it's funny because, you know, it, um, it all circles back to thyroid. It all circles back to health. Sim- simplify. Be mindful. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it, you can be complex, which we did get into a little bit of complexity. But we can also narrow it down to, you know, think about others. Think about yourself. Be conscious. Be present. Um, simplify. I mean, those are things yeah. you can well, do. Well, you can do and, those and, things. And, and the body is complex. So this is what you, you, this is the paradox is that the deeper I looked into biology and physiology and biochemistry, biochemistry and biophysics, um, the more complex it, get, it got. So for every answer that I would come up with, I would get 10 new questions and I'd answer those and I'd get 10 new questions for every one of those. And so <laughs> we'll never, I'm confident that we'll never solve the mystery of human biology. Um, I believe it's as infinite as the universe itself. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I believe it's, it's, it's just a, a similar manifestation. Um, so why get lost in the complexity of, of physiology, biology, chemistry, biochemistry, et cetera, um, and instead trust that nature, God, uh, whatever you want to think of, that the body works the way it's designed to. Trust that, that, mm-hmm. that, that that's built within. And your job is to simplify the outside, both the external world and your internal sort of dialogue and that kind of thing, simplify that and let the complexity, you know, behave in a dynamically uh, balancing, harmonious way. So I think that is, again, I know a lot of this sounds esoteric. It sounds um, non-actionable, but the reality, and this comes from my experience as a practitioner in my own life um, and then traveling and talking to other people, is that this, it's the way, you know, looking at, trust me, I've gotten into all kinds of thyroid physiology that is really complex. Um, you know, getting into T4 function, T3, reverse T3, uh, you know, T2 even, um, and all the dynamic interplay between the gut microbiota and the mitochondria and, um, you know, the, the hypothalamus. And there's, there's, there's lots to look into. But to try to manipulate that from an external sense with hormones, supplements, et cetera, and, and not deal with the outside world, whether it be your environment or the, your, your mental, emotional stuff, um, you're just never going <clears> to, <throat> you're never going to match the, the complexity of the body. 
And so mm-hmm. it really is simple. Um, and, and one thing I'll say for, for people with thyroid issues too, that has become very, um, I think more and more evident to me over the years is that if you're living in a way, if you're living a life that is not harmonious to the real you, in other words, you're in a job that you don't really like and that job doesn't allow you to do the things you really like. Sometimes jobs are great just to get a paycheck so that you can do the things you actually love. I'm 100% in support of that. In fact, that's what most of the world does, right? They don't want to do the work they do. They do the work so that they can live the life they want. I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. The, other, the other thing that we can do is to, to do the work that aligns with who we are and, and allows us to sort of have this interesting work-life dynamic balance, which I'm sure you guys are probably doing. You know, I, I found my way into that a little bit where it's like, I enjoy my work. So I, there's almost no distinction between work and play and life and all this stuff. Right. And, that, and that's great too. But if you're living in a life that, that is not in alignment with who you are and what you really want, that can damage thyroid from an energetic sense because you're not living the life. You're not speaking your truth. You're not, you're not allowing to express yourself. And I think there's a lot of evidence to show that, you know, we'll call it the throat chakra, if you will, that this energy that can get pent up in the thyroid because you're unable to speak. You know, whether it be you're in a job and, and, you know, this happens more with females, I think, that they get shut down by particularly a male boss or, or what have you. They don't, they're not allowed to speak. They don't feel comfortable speaking. And so not being able to speak your truth, whether it be through writing, through music, through art, through vocalization, energy can get pent up. And I think the thyroid, the energetic aspect of the thyroid starts to get um, out of balance. So, again, it does all tie back in to sort of that bigger philosophical esoteric level of following your true purpose, your passion, who you are, the way you want to live, the way you want to speak, the way you want to interact. Um, and, and if you have a relationship, you know, husband or a wife that is not supportive, or you don't have a good dialogue, you're unable to really express yourselves um, from a soul level, from a heart level, um, that can also disrupt thyroid, right? So I think, I mean, these are the hard parts, you know. I mean, I could sit here and talk and, oh, you can just take a little bit of this T3 and you can, you know, um, take a little bit of iodine here. We we can tell you, (laughs) Jason, it doesn't work. Of all the years of doing this, I can tell you that spirituality and purpose and intention and truth is significant. If that is not aligned, you will not heal. Right, right. And that's it's hard pretty stuff. simple. And, uh, I don't care if your thyroid all looks perfect on paper. <laughs> if that is not in line, it's not going to work. We see it right. all the time. It's, Dana and I have talked it, about it all the time. <laughs> I, I love it. And it's, and it's unfortunately not talked about enough, I think. I think there, it is talked about. I think a lot of thyroid people that I know in, in the integrated functional world, they do talk about this. But I, I do think there's still a reliance to go back to, you know, looking at supplements, looking at diet, looking at ways to change the gut and all these things. And, and fix the liver, and, you know, we're, we're still addressing the body. And I think that is good to get people to a stable level. I think even medication can be helpful to get people to a balanced state. Oh, sure, but where they can think. These you are know, bridges, a lot of these people right? are just exactly. exhausted to the point of being non-functional. Yes. So that, yes. that wasn't what I was saying. What I was saying is, is, you know, if you get all of that done and everything looks great and everything is great and you're in a position to be able to think and you're not in line with yourself and your purpose and all these things, yes. That, yeah. that's still you still have to do that in order to be in a place of of being healed and being well. Uh, I'm hundred. I totally agree. I'm hundred percent agree with with your philosophy on that. And I think it's 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 a tricky spot. I, I think we're we're probably you know both saying the same thing, which is that oh, those things sure. are okay and they can be used. They don't have to be used for some people. They can be used. They they probably should be used for some people. But 
it's a bridge or band-aid at best, right? Or crutches, right? right. Would you really right. want to be, crutches are great when you have a broken leg, but would you want to be right. on crutches your entire life? It's like, no. <laughs> so, so how do we right. heal that, right? How do we get that to the, to, to back to a, a state of balance? And to some degree, even if you're trying to address the organ or, or, or function that you're, that's, that's out of balance with the wrong mechanisms, you know, you, you're just going to develop issues later on somewhere else. Right. I mean, right. this is, I see this over and over again. Oh, you know, this was healed. And then they get something else later. I'm like, well, you got it. You got to address it, it. It's not the organ. That's the problem. It's something else. <laughs> right. So, right. Um, you don't have a thought. In, in fact, that's a, that's the ironic part to a lot of this is that most people don't even have a thyroid problem. <laughs> most of the people have, right. you know, an immune system challenge, right. That's, that's uh-huh. manifesting in the thyroid. Right. And so, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of, a lot of things to break down with the thyroid. I think that we, we really need to look at, um, and, and try to understand better. But, but ultimately, I think trying to dissect the body into disrupted parts, you know, dysfunctional parts, et cetera, is not really going to be the ultimate game changer for most people or for anybody. I think it's, it's, it goes deeper. And I think if we can at least recognize that possibility that recognize those bigger things and make those changes, not only do we get resolution from our symptoms and the organs that are dysfunctional, but we get resolution in relationships. We get resolution with our finances. We get resolution with our bosses sure. and our work. We get, I mean, this is the funny thing is I, I didn't intend to, to go on this path. I was a mechanical engineer. I was a type A, you know, logical thinker doing math and all <laughs> kinds of crazy stuff. Right. And I was forced to this path. And then once I was on this path, it was like, things just started popping up out of nowhere for me. I was like, Really? You know, like right, this life is, how is what works. happens while you're planning other things, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, but be- beautiful things, right? It's like right. So then, then I then I recognize, okay, well, it's almost stupid for me to even plan anything anymore. <laughs> Why don't I just go with the flow, and mm-hmm. whatever happens, happens. And I've gotten so far to that point now, where it's like people ask me what I'm doing next week, and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like I, I actually don't know. Um, you know, or, well, or that- what's your plan? You know, these business coaches will say. You know, what's your plan for, for you know, your business plan for the next year, three or whatever? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't think okay. like that. You know, I don't, okay, I well, don't know that you have to think like that. <laughs> well, that, to I a guess, certain extent, I think. I was just going to say that leads me to what my next question was, because we could talk to Jason all day, or I could. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, w- I want to hang up and talk about Costa Rica, because it, it, you had me teary <laughs> there a minute ago. But I was about to say what's on the horizon for you, but I guess that's a moot point after your last statement. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, the, here, here's what I learned, and, and I'm okay with planning, and I still do it to some degree, but what I recognize is that I can plan all day long, and it may or may not happen, and so I think that the, the trick is, is like, okay, can I, can I paint this rough picture, rough outline of, of maybe where I'm going, and then however I get there, or maybe if I go on a different path, that's okay too, so it's almost like you're climbing a mountain. Your goal is to get to the top, but are you really going to try to map out the exact you know, path step by step, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not. Um, and so, you know, I learned this from my travels that I, I would travel with a plan and then, you know, I'd look at all the things that I wanted to see and do and, and all this stuff. And if I didn't get to it, I felt let, let down. Like, oh, I didn't have time to go to that thing. Right. Like, mm-hmm. are you kidding me? You know, and it felt like a disappointment. But the ignorance of not knowing what's there to some degree and letting sort of having trust that the that God, that the universe, that whatever is guiding you to wherever you want to go, there's a certain level of um, profound gratitude and appreciation for whatever comes. So, um, you know, I would travel and literally not know where my next destination was. Um, I, I, in fact, I was going to Iceland. I was leaving Seattle, going to Iceland, 
And I didn't know, I didn't have a place to stay yet. I didn't have a rental car. I didn't know anything about Reykjavik at that point. Um, I had a book with me and I said, I'm going to open this book when I get on the plane. And so once I was on the plane, I opened the book and then I landed in Iceland. And I'm like, okay, well, I better find a place to stay. Right. And so, and I intentionally did this because it was actually really out of my comfort zone at that point to do something like that. I was traveling alone, which I'd never done. And I literally forced myself into this situation and found a place to stay, met a bunch of really cool people, ended up with this like 2002 Toyota Corolla because all the other like new cars were expensive. So it's like things didn't work out quote unquote perfect, but they actually did. And when I was in Reykjavik, then my next stop was Copenhagen. And I knew my next stop was Copenhagen, but I didn't know anything about Copenhagen, didn't have a place to stay, didn't know anything. And so I did that as I traveled. And when I look back, I'm like, that was like, these things happened. Like when I was leaving Reykjavik, um, I was checking out of my, my, my hostel and I, this girl was next to me and, and we were talking and she's like, Oh, where are you heading? I'm, like, oh, I'm going to Copenhagen next. And she said, Oh, me too. And, and she was, she was Austrian. And, uh, and I was like, Oh, that's cool. You know, um, have you ever been there? You know, anything about it? She's like, well, I actually go to school there. I actually go to international law school. And I was like, huh? Okay. Um, she's like, I can show you around tomorrow if you want. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah. So, of course. So, Right? She, she's like a personal tour guide around Copenhagen and, and like shows me all these things. And so, you know, I just start laughing. Right. And then she, she invites me to, to this, like her law school party stuff and hanging out with a bunch of people. And we go to this thing called cocktails and what was it called? Uh, Science and cocktails or something like that. Um, and I'm listening to this astrophysicist speak about, you know, crazy stuff. And I'm drinking this cocktail and, and in this place called, Oh God, what's it called? Anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is, is that I didn't have a plan for any of this stuff. It just happened. And that was my first real hard example of going, man, like really good things can happen when you don't have a plan. If you're nimble, if you're able to accept what comes, deal with some of the challenges. I almost got left. I was in Italy and I I was taking a train. And if you've never been to Italy and taken trains or France and taken trains, they're sort of notorious for being late, sometimes not showing up, sometimes going on strike. Sometimes it's kind of a mess. And I was, it was like, 1130 or something. And one of the trains didn't show up. Um, and so we had to catch the next one. And I said, okay. So everybody's standing there. And then we get on this last train that's going to wherever we were going. And I actually get off on the wrong stop, right? Because it's in Italian. I don't speak great Italian. Um, and I get off on the wrong stop and I'm like, oh crap. And this is like a midnight at this point. And it's this random train stop in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing around except for this train stop. And if I didn't, if there wasn't another train coming, Keep in mind, I didn't have cell service. I, did, I, I was just going by the seat of my pants. If, it, if there wasn't another train coming, I wasn't able to get on it. And I was going to sleep at this train station with my, basically my backpack, no blanket or pillow, no tent, no nothing. I was just going to sleep like a you know, homeless person. And so I was like, oh, crap. You know, <laughs> I really hope a train comes. And fortunately, one did. So to some degree, it's, it's about that, that all taught me to navigate the waters, to ride the waves, to, to take the quote-unquote bad with the good and without this expectation of something happening. And so that, I think, just really gave me trust in the quote-unquote plan, right? Um, that whatever was going to happen is going to happen, and it's all good. And sometimes it doesn't feel good. Sometimes it feels like hell. And, again, it comes back to trust and just trusting that, okay, I'm learning something from this. I don't know what the heck it is yet. Something good's going to come out of this. Uh, but mm-hmm. when we're on our travels, and we, and this is a good story. When we were traveling around to uh, Greece and Costa Rica and all these places, we were supposed to go from my, – my filmmaker, John, and I, um, we were supposed to go from Seattle to 
to Guernsey in the United Kingdom to this island to go to this longevity conference, and then we we're going to go down to Sardinia uh, to Italy. And we show up at SeaTac Airport, and we check. We, we, traffic was bad, and we kind of got a late start and all this stuff. We show up at the airport, um, and we're literally, I'm at the checkout counter to, to check our bags in 58 minutes before the flight. Well, for international flights, it, you have to get it there an hour, FAA, right? So right. they said, sorry, I can't let you on the plane. <clears throat> I can't check your bags. And so there was nothing we could do because this flight was Seattle to like Toronto to London, then to Guernsey. Right? So it's like a three-stage flight, and it's not like we could just hop on the next flight. <laughs> there was no next right. flight. And so we lost. $1,300 in flights. And we had all our things set up in Sardinia. We had the translator we we're going to meet, and she was going to take us to these places. That oh, all no. went to hell. So it completely fell <laughs> apart. And so we're sitting there with our luggage, with our camera equipment. We're like, uh, and, and this is a limited timeline. We're trying to create a movie in a, on a budget in a certain amount of time. We're like, oh my God. Right. So I end up flying back down to San Diego. He ends up going back home. You know, we unpack. I mean, I had, to, I had to buy a flight to San Diego, right? And I'm like, okay, well, I guess we got to figure out when the heck we're going to go back, when we're going to go back to Italy. And the long story short, I'll save the details, but due to the nature of we only had a, a one-way flight there, we hadn't booked our return flight yet, um, we lost the $1,300 on that flight. But because, literally, it's sunk cost. So then we had to reschedule that, but we, we tagged on another part of our trip on the back of that. I think we went to Greece after that. So instead of Italy back, Greece back, which is four flights, we lost our one flight and we went basically U.S., Italy, Greece, and back. And due to the math and, and due to basically saving a flight, we actually saved like $1,200. Oh, wow. So by missing our flight and losing $1,300, we actually saved $1,200, got a break actually when we needed it because we actually went home and kind of – you know, didn't have to travel again. Regroup. So, right. Exactly. And I was pissed. I mean, believe me, at, <laughs> at the airport, I was pissed. I was like, you got to be, no way. Like, what right. a huge pain. It, it, just to get to the airport and do all the things, right? Go through all the hoopla, mm-hmm. of checking camera equipment. And I mean, it's a pain. And so we, we were both not happy. And it was our fault because we were late. But yet, wouldn't you know, it, we actually saved 1200 bucks, which is really important because we were on a budget to try to get this thing done. So if we have the perspective to really look at the situation that we're presented with, perhaps there's a, a, not only a silver lining, but the whole thing is silver, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, to me, it's, it's continual lessons like this. And I, I continually screw up. You know, if, I, if I was truly conscious I would, and truly aware, I would have been, oh, okay, well, it's okay. We missed the flight. We'll just you know, do this, and it's all good because I'm sure there's a good thing coming up. But I wasn't. I was pissed. <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> right? Right. Some of it was kind of taken out on the agent. I'm like, it's two minutes. You've got to be kidding me. We have to go this, you know. And so it's constant reminder for myself. But that's the challenge. I think that's the ultimate challenge in life is to be able to flip that around. It is. To, and to so take for a me, moment, take a deep breath, go, yeah. I know this. I know this yeah. is going to work out in my favor. Like to take that constant challenge and that constant, oh, my God, and Every, nothing is working out the way I wanted. It's, it's this right. illusion of expectation that gets people yeah. in trouble. Right. right? And so for me, that's when you can let that go. Right. Yeah. That's a yeah. huge so, gift. Like so it's, for business, it's, for relationships, for everything. It's like everything. I can, my, I can my have constant, a vague outline. My constant phrase is trust the journey. 
Mm-hmm. Even when yeah. something feels like the world is crushing that. your shoulders and it's all going right. to hell, you have right. to trust the fact that this is in your best interest or in the best interest of the people around you. And, you know, there's that whole trusting the fact that something is bigger than us, right? Yes. It's, this, yes. it's this illusion of control that just that throws it all out. It's like anyone that thinks they have control is just, I'm not sure what they're smoking, but I don't want any of it. <laughs> well, and it's so true. And you catch yourself in that all the time. And it's, it's hard to, to truly relegate that. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to truly it's let go It's a behavior. Of that. But because sometimes you don't get proof, right? You don't get proof that what what happened was good. I mean, I mean the more maybe not until later. Things, I think you well, do but get even proof. Something like, well, what about something like where you know where a loved one dies unexpectedly or prematurely, mm-hmm. quote unquote? I mean, how do we find the good in that? Right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes it's really we have really, to understand really that that was their journey. It is hard, right? right? But right. the loss, right. the loss is really a selfish view. It we is. are mourning. Is we are mourning hard. for us, not for them. Right. Yeah. Right. right. It, you know it, what I'm it's saying? It's exactly right. It, it, but that's a very grown-up view, and it's really hard to. <laughs> well, my God, it is. I'm almost fifty. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's sad, right? Like we love that person, we want them, but but I think the the bigger realization is that I, I'm 100% in agreement with you on that. That it's that first of all, we all die, right? I mean, these are the hard things that we don't like to talk about in our culture. You know, it, it's, more, it's more appropriate in other cultures to talk about death, to see death, sure. to raise animals and kill animals. You have a stronger uh, association and relationship with death, which I think is important because it, it shows you the value of life. And we are afraid to die, which in means we're United afraid States, to live. In the United States, we don't want to address it at all. I mean, no. No. you know, no. my mother died in front, of, in front of me and my, and my three children. Well, technically my fourth children, but she was six, six weeks old. But I mean... I think you have to see the lamp go out. You have to go through the process to understand that this is not an empty thing. This mm-hmm. is a very viable um, movement of this person from one place to another. And I don't think that you can see that unless you go through it. But we don't want to go through it because it's uncomfortable. So we try to shovel it away. It's oh uncomfortable, my God. right? Sis, I'm sorry what? to cut you off. I just realized that we're we're just now we're off the air, so we probably need to wrap. I'm sorry, Tiff. <laughs> sorry. Whoopsie. That's we okay. were just talking. Okay. We were just talking and talking. Jason, you're amazing. I can't wait to come visit. I'm just coming out to see Tiffany, and now I'm coming to see you too. Right? Well, you're going to have to come up to Joshua Tree and say hello. Absolutely. We can go to Joshua Tree and we, and or Coach. We'll Rachel. contemplate life and death. That. <laughs> Absolutely. Contemplate oh, awesome. life and death over lunch. That's right. Or dinner, or wine, or, dinner or whatever. Or whatever. Um, um, thank you so much. For the, the Human Longevity Project was amazing. The website is thehumanlongevityfilm.com, correct? And I think it's it's yeah. over. So, can anybody yeah, buy well, anything, or will it come back, or yeah, how does that work? Yeah, yeah. There's 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 still an opportunity to purchase the series if if that's okay. um uh you know it's still there um we'll probably be doing another sale uh, a launch um in February or something but but yeah it's still available okay okay so good I appreciate well, you guys um, having me on and yeah this has been truly amazing and what you do is amazing and what you did for you know all the people out there watching uh the project traveling around and and showing us life can you know. It can be long and wonderful and, 
you know, kind well, of it's just a selfish goosebumps. act. It, it could be short and wonderful too. <laughs> yes, it can yeah, be. Exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. But um but well, thank it, you so much. Absolutely. No, thank you for having thank me. Thank you so much for the, all the stuff. work you did. Yes. Thank you guys. Okay, have a great day. This has been such a blast. All Thanks, right. Jason. Thank you. Okay, bye bye. Oh my gosh, what a doll he is. Truly, what a doll. It's one of the contemplating life. It's definitely something that everybody needs to do. We need to stop rushing. I'm sorry to cut you off. I just realized we were just talking and talking, but um, yeah, and don't even start me on talking about it. I really need to. Oh, we've been way over for a while. Oh, my goodness. um okay so let's close out then because we we are way over um as always a very big thank you to our listeners of course i say this every time but i really mean it we appreciate you listening and that's what drives us to do the shows if you have a minute um and you like the show and you want to leave a little comment go to itunes where you can also download all the um, past episodes as well absolutely And, of course, Dana and I always want to remind you that wellness is a journey and takes continual maintenance and evaluation. We talk about this every time. This did nothing but solidify this, Mm -hmm. that you have to listen to yourself, and true healing comes from within. You have to be good with your purpose and good with everything. So be mindful of that amazing, brilliant body and what it's telling you. Sometimes that slowing of the thyroid is the body being able to slow you down so that you can think. Mm -hmm. It's a gift. It really is. is. As Jason was saying, you know, the blessing. So this is Dana. And Tiffany. Your Thyroid Nation Thrivers, bringing the collective voice of thyroid thrivers worldwide so that together, united we heal. Nothing more apparent uh, than all of that with today's show um, as he traveled around and got to see all the different people and talk to all the people. It's all the same thing for everybody. We're all the same. So um, What an amazing journey. Yeah, comfortable feeling. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Have a wonderful week.